Good morning. As those of you who um, have eyes to see, I'm not Pastor Scott. Uh, he and Amy are, are sick this morning, so pray for their quick recovery. Thankful for the opportunity to come before you today to give the word of the Lord. I pray it would be uh, an encouragement to you. What a, what a tremendous privilege. And I'm uh, actually cashing in on something Pastor Scott told me over three years ago when I gave this uh, talk, well, it will be uh, more a sermonic, hopefully, uh, to the men's breakfast over three years ago. Pastor Scott said, we'll have to hear that, to paraphrase, in a sermon form sometime. And now, Pastor Scott, if you're watching, I'm, I'm cashing in now. <laughs> uh, if we could please stand and, and open uh, the Word to 1 John chapter 3. Verses 1 through 3, reading from the English Standard Version. Hear the word of the Lord. The Spirit says to the Apostle John, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears... We shall be like him, because we will see, shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Bless the word of the Lord, you could be seated. I like movie spoilers. I'll just admit it. Right off the bat. Some of you call it spoilers, I call it facts to know beforehand to objectively evaluate a film. Now, I exaggerate a little bit, but I, I don't mind them. Uh, you know, sometimes in, a, in an art such as uh, film, uh, the storyteller can move you or shape you in such a way as to kind of direct you a certain way. And sometimes at the ending of a film, it can kind of have a plot twist and you didn't see it coming. I kind of like to know things beforehand. So, you know, I'm not susceptible to things like that. Basically, I can I can evaluate a film, and, and you know, books are books are can be like that too, right? Um, again, I exaggerate a little bit, but it, but it's helpful to know the ending to know where you're going. The Lord's word has the ending. It has the ending so that we know where we're going. The book of First uh, John is written, I believe, to assure John's audience that they know that they have eternal life. First John chapter five, verse thirteen. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And so then John goes through a series of of discourses, a series of things whereby you can look and be assured of your salvation and your union with Christ. Now, I don't want to highlight one above another, but we are looking at a portion of one today. And I must admit, it's not the sermon is not an expository sermon in the sense of just looking at one and primarily sticking in one passage. I want to look through Scripture uh, a high level of an element of Scripture that is a believer's supreme hope. 
and their supreme desire. And it's shown here in 1 John 3, verse 2. Did you see it? Let's look at it again. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. And here it is. Because we shall see Him as He is. Theologians call this the beatific vision. Be quoting a few times today from someone who was, uh, through his writing, was influential in my life about this subject. Norman Geisler, not now in glory. I wouldn't recommend everything that he's written, but in one of his volumes, he talks about the beatific vision, and uh, it sets, can set your soul on fire. Let me let me uh, read a quote. The beatific vision, he says, is the blessed vision that Moses sought, God forbade, Jesus promised, and John described. Seeing God face to face. End quote. The beatific vision is the blessed event when God's redeemed will directly and immediately behold God in all of His glory. Charles Hodge says, this, beatific, this vision is beatific. It beatifies. It transforms the soul into the divine image, transfusing into it the divine life, so that it is filled with the fullness of God. When we see God as He is, His divine life, will so fill us, brothers and sisters, that we will not be Him. We will never be Him. We are finite. He is infinite. But we shall be like Him. We will be holy like Him. Now, we're going to, we are going to look at several scriptures today, and this one we'll look at, the very famous passage on it, Revelation 22 Verse 4 says, They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. This is desire is what every believer has longed for, whether or not they can express it in words or not. This is the hope. This is the ultimate restoration of, of what has been lost, and then some. And then more. Let's start in Scripture with where we had fellowship with God. It was enjoyed and lost. In the garden, fellowship with God was enjoyed and yet lost. Adam and Eve communed in fellowship with God but it is unlikely that they beheld the full and immediate revelation of God's glory. But yet, they did fellowship. They did commune with Him. This is what we were made for. This is what we were made to be in the core of our very being. And Adam and Eve had it. And of course, through their rebellion, through their wanting to be like God Himself, to know good and evil, 
to have the glory for themselves. They partook of the fruit, being deceived by Satan himself, and they lost it. They were banished from the garden and from the tree of life, lest they live forever in their fallen condition. Think of the mercy of our God. That God did not let Adam and Eve stay in that garden, partake of the tree of life, and be locked in that forever. Pastor Kyle mentioned about sin bringing misery. A passage that's been on my heart lately, ministering outside um, the abortion clinics, is in Romans chapter 3, where it talks about those who sin, and it says, in their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. To follow in rebellion against God does not bring freedom. All it brings is ruin and misery. And had God not intervened, that would have been our lot forever. But thanks be to God, because He had a plan, that was not the end of the story. They were banned from the garden in which they had fellowship with God. But yet God condescended and in His mercy spoke to His servants, gave His word, led them along, revealed Himself, gave them the hope that one day fellowship would be restored, that there would be the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent and defeat this rebellion, defeat this sin once and for all. And oh, how bottomless is the sacrifice of Christ and the benefits from it. And now we live in the absence of the presence of God in, 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 one, in this sense. No fallen person has ever seen God in His unmediated glory. You remember what God said, if you're uh, taking notes, write down some of these passages. In Exodus 33 and verse 20, what did God say to Moses when Moses asked to behold His glory? What did God say? Exodus 33.20 But He said, You cannot see My face, for man shall not see Me and live. Moses, the friend of God, spoken of so highly in Scripture, who of course was a sinner saved by grace like the rest of us, but had such a relationship with the Lord that God could... The Bible talks about him speaking to face to face, but, but other scripture makes clear that he never saw God face to face because if you did, he would wipe you out. Ponder the, the immense, unfathomable glory of the beauty of God that is so great, that is altogether lovely and righteous. That if you were to behold it unmediated, it would be so perfect, it would necessarily destroy all that was not. That's what God said to Moses, you can't see and live. No matter how close you are. John 1.18, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side has made Him known. John 5.37, and the Father has sent me who has sent me, has himself borne witness, Jesus speaking about me, his voice you have never heard, 
His form, this form you have never seen. The echoes of Scripture again and again. John 6.46 Not that anyone has seen the Father, except He is from God. He has seen the Father. Talking about Christ, Colossians 1.15 He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. 1 Timothy 1.17 To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God. Be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. 1 Timothy 6.16 Talking about God, who was alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. Speaking of the ability. As much as we would love to behold God in His ineffable glory, the Scripture makes clear that we are not fashioned for that. We cannot withstand His beauty and His glory. Yet. 1 John 4.12 No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. And Scripture is replete of the problem that although even as redeemed sinners, we can have fellowship with God through Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, we cannot behold God because He is so perfect, He would wipe us out. And yet, that didn't stop the longing of God's people to gain the beatific vision, to gain the vision of God Himself. Listen to what Job says in Job 19, 25-27. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last He will stand upon the earth, and after my skin has thus been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, Amen. whom I shall see for myself, And my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. I get that, Job. Job, who lived in the time of the patriarchs, had this hope that one day, in his own flesh, even though he knew he would die, that one day he would get to behold God face to face. That everything that was destroyed by sin would be made right. And not only that, gain more. And of course, the famous passage of, of Moses, how Moses longed to see God. Exodus 33, 17-23. He has to see His glory. You could, you could read that. Also, we talk about David. The Bible talks about David, King David, who wanted to behold the Lord. Psalm 11, verse 7. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. Psalm 17, verse 15. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. C.S. Lewis said that our problem, to paraphrase, is that we are far too easily pleased. And I would agree. How far we are too easily pleased with beholding things 
to bask in its glory when our desires are far, far, far too small. Only one thing satisfied the saints then, and one thing will satisfy the saints now. is to behold God face to face. Psalm 140, verse 13, continuing with David. Surely the righteous shall give thanks to your name. The upright shall dwell in your presence. God's people hoped that one day their sin, for which they continually repeated offered sacrifices in the exercise of faith that God would forgive them of their sin and offered them in faith, looking to the sacrifice, to the Messiah who was to come, who for the believers knew that He would deal with sin once and for all. And in the fullness of time, The Father sent Him. And Jesus gave this promise. If you're taking notes, the promise of the beatific vision. The pure in heart will obtain the beatific vision. Matthew 5, verse 8, Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart. You know the rest, don't you? For they shall see God. Could you imagine what the hope would have been to the believing Israelite to hear that on the mount in the plain that day? That the rabbi, the Messiah, to start off his famous sermon, to start off, but very soon after the introduction, that those of you who are pure in heart, you'll see God. Those who hate the evil in this world, who hate the evil in their own flesh, they hate the evil in their heart, who are pure in heart, whose, as Augustine has said, purity of the heart is to will one thing. As one songwriter, Rich Mullins, quotes one of his album cover, uh, album lyrics, one thing, to see God face to face. And Jesus says, those who are pure in heart, those who will this one thing, you'll get to see it. And Jesus is so committed to keep this hope alive that when He tells the disciples He's going to die and their hope is hanging on threads because they can't get their mind around the dying Messiah, Jesus offers them hope that He is who He said He is and and He's going to accomplish what He said to accomplish, and that the kingdom will come with Him, and He will fulfill all that He's promised. He gave them a sneak preview. Jesus gave them a sneak preview of the glory. And some of you might already know where we're going with this. The transfiguration. In the synoptics, when Jesus appears in His glory for a moment... And those three passages, all of them are preceded by where, where it says that Jesus said, there are some here who will not, not taste death until so, they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. And the next passage is this one. The Mount of Transfiguration. This is the foretaste 
of the beatific vision. I read Matthew 17, 1-8 to you. And after six days, Jesus took with Him Peter and James and John His brother and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And He was transfigured before them. And His face shone like the sun. And His clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And he was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise. And have no fear. When they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. I like the Apostle Paul. I do. But I really can't relate to him very well. You know, if, if Paul didn't say that he was the chief of sinners, let me just ask you, would you believe that? I wouldn't. I mean, he wouldn't lie when he's writing Scripture, right? I mean, I, I have to believe him, but man, when you look at Paul, after he gets saved, he's, he's pretty squeaky clean. Peter I can relate to. Peter I can relate to. What's he want to do when he sees this? He wants to stay. Now, how many of us, if you're honest, would say, I would want to do the same thing. Of course you would. Of course you would want to behold the glory of your Savior and never leave. Have you ever been so transfixed by something in nature that was so great and so grand and so beyond you that you never wanted to take your eyes off of it? I'm like that when it comes to wide open spaces and, and the mountains and and, and things like this. I, I love that. Some of you, it might be that way for the ocean or, or maybe uh, the skies, the, the space, the, the third heavens as it were. And you look at that and you're so transfixed by it that you never want to leave. The Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God. Amen. And the heavens are but a very, very, very extremely small, infinitesimally small reflection of how glorious God is. And if we're transfixed by something like that, how much more will the unmediated glory of God transfix us? And give us hope. And after the Mount of Transfiguration uh, occurrence, the disciples are encouraged. Jesus pulls back the veil, as it were, for just a moment, just to get a glimpse. And when we look at Jesus, brothers and sisters, we get a glimpse of the glory of God now. As we read Scripture and we read our beloved Messiah again and again and again, He shows us who God is and what He's like. What did the scripture we read earlier say? That Jesus has made him known. Jesus has made the Father known. So even now, even though we don't behold God's glory directly, we have Christ, whom we could look at, 
in the scriptures and by whom we have union through the redemption that he's provided to us by the Holy Spirit's power who unites us to him. As we behold Christ in his glory, in our walk with him, in our reading of the text, we can begin to get a taste of what it is like to look at God and his glory and say, that's what I want more than anything else. Continuing on, Jesus prayed, if you're taking notes, Jesus prayed that all that the Father would give him would partake in the beatific vision. John 17, 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you've loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus prayed that we would behold his glory. And the Father's glory. Jesus wants that for us, church. And as far as my reading of the Bible goes, I've never seen a prayer that Jesus prayed that never went unanswered. That never had an answer of no. But there's a condition, isn't there? And there's a condition of the beatific vision. Only those who are holy and pure will gain it. Again, going back to Matthew 5.8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they, will, for they shall see God. Hebrews 12.14, Strive for peace with everyone, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Only those who are pure and spotless, to whom no sin can be charged and be found guilty. And, and also, not only that, they must possess a righteousness, right? Not only must they be spotless when it comes to a record of sin, but they must be righteous completely, having obeyed all that God has said. Well, this is the beauty of the gospel because Jesus purchased this for us. Jesus purchased, he secured the beatific vision for the elect. How did he do it? Through his suffering. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. What was Jesus' promise in John 14, verse 3? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. That where I am, you may, also, uh, you may be also. John 17, 24, again, Jesus prayed that they may be with Him where He is so that they may see His glory. And Jesus, who reflects, who has glory and also reflects the glory of the Father, that we might see it. Jesus died not only to set us free from our sins, brothers and sisters, and not only so that we might have a perfect record of righteousness by which we can stand before God, not only not guilty, which we are right now, by the way, but that the fellowship would be restored and that we might see what He has looked upon for all eternity. What He wants us to look upon for all eternity. And one day, it will arrive. Let me have you turn in your word to Revelation 22. Everybody likes this spoiler. 
everybody likes this. No matter if, if you are not a spoiler fan or are, everybody likes this one because this is, this is where God shows us that Christ wins. And that all that He said He would accomplish, He fulfills to the letter. Revelation 22, verses 1-5. through 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. And on either side of the river, the tree of life. You remember that tree of life? We saw that earlier, didn't we? In the garden, and here it is again. With twelve fruits, with twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were the healing for the nation. See, now the tree of life isn't guarded. It's open. And anyone who resides there in the holy city can partake of it. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And His servants will worship Him. And here it is. They will see His face. And His name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no lamp. They will need no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Here's what this vision accomplishes. It brings complete joy and satisfaction for every believer forever and ever. Every believer will be fully satisfied when we we behold God face to face. There will be no dissatisfaction. We will know and experience God directly and perfectly forever. Now I remember as a young man, you know, when when you're young, you think about things like eternity, right? And then you can't think about it. Even adults don't think about it too long because it will just blow your mind, right? Like you're like, how do you get eternity? Well, one thing that I pondered, I remember, is how do we know that somebody won't sin again and mess the whole thing up again? Anybody ever think that, or is that just me? Maybe it's just me. But how do we know that someone won't mess this up and sin enters? Oh, you see, God knows the end from the beginning because He ordains all things. What I am comforted by, brothers and sisters, is not only what God can do, but what He cannot do. I take great comfort in that. What are some things that God cannot do? God cannot lie. God cannot be unfaithful. God cannot act contrary to His will. God cannot fail. And in this vision that we will all behold one day, God will reveal to us His absolute goodness and beauty which we will spend an eternity exploring and be transfixed by. But as Norman Geisler said, and I just want to quote this here, as a a result of this goodness and beauty that we behold in God, he says, quote, or it will make, quote, sin impossible. For to be directly informed in one's mind by absolute good is to be completely conformed to it. 
end quote. God's glory will be so great, it will fix us forever so that we will never desire to sin again. Ever. That we will never want it. That His beauty will so transfix us and so captivate us that we will want nothing else. I don't know about you, but that makes my heart sing. How many of you believers battle with sin and you don't want that sin, but nevertheless, due to the indwelling flesh that remains and the enemy that assails us on every side and the world that tempts us, we have an enemy within the gates who would want to let those enemies in. And we want him gone. Someday, when we behold God face to face, he will be gone. And all we will want is to explore how beautiful he is forever and ever and ever. He will create glorious perfection in the believer. Now, if we behold God in His glory now in His word, and it transforms us from one degree in glory to the next, 2 Corinthians 3, what will beholding the immediate glory of God do to us? I quote Geisler again, The beatific vision will fulfill our freedom by completing, quote, our freedom to completely love God, end quote. There are many lies that Satan sells us. But the big one, a big one, is that you're free if you can do what you want. In the sinner, that's deadly. That leads us to ruin and misery. But for the perfected believer who beholds the glory of God, all we will want is Him. Because He will be so perfect and so beautiful, we will want nothing else. True freedom is the freedom not to sin. True freedom is to do what is right always. And by God's grace, because Christ died and purchased it for us and because He promised it to us, we'll have it. It will complete our ability to perfectly serve and worship our God and fulfill our role for eternity. So how does this help us now? Let's go back to our text in 1 John 3. Sometimes Scripture just gives you the application right there. And 1 John 3 does this. In 1 John 3, verse 3. Let's look at it again, brothers and sisters. And everyone who thus hopes in Him, hopes in Him, who comes, and we'll see Him as He is. Those who hope in Him in that, what will they do? Purify Himself. As He is pure. B.F. Westcott, in his commentary on uh, the Epistles of St. John, said this, Personal effort is necessarily called out by a definite object of personal devotion. Is what he's saying. Is that... The object that you set your devotion on will necessarily call out effort from you. You can't devote yourself to something and not give anything to it. It's impossible. 
if we set our vision on what the saints of the past wanted, and the saints now want, to behold God in His ineffable glory, in His magnificent beauty, to be free from sin forever, and only want what is righteous, and only want what is right, how do you think we'll be living now? To live our lives devoted to Him, as imperfect as that might be. This vision gives us hope to persevere in the Christian life. And we're only two days into 2022, and I need some of that hope. How about you? I need some of that hope to see the end. I need the spoiler. So that I know how it's going to end, because it affects how I can objectively live my life now. And for all of you, I know it's the same. Young men who don't know what to do with your life and you struggle. There's so many sins, so many things we could talk about. But young men who struggle with how, where to devote yourself, where to devote your, to devote your attention in your life, and you struggle with slothfulness and a lack of focus. Make the beatific vision, seeing God face to face, your focus. Make looking upon Him your focus, and that will sharpen your objective very quickly. That you direct everything in your life, your entertainment, your leisure, your recreation, your work, your studies, your relationship, your life, is all directed to Seeing God face to face. Young ladies, the same thing with you. Older men, older women, it applies to everyone. Your life can be directed by this vision. Because you're going to see God face to face, you can hope that all that you've done for Him is not a waste and that you do glorify Him and that you will look on His face one day and He'll say to you, Well done. And it also drives us to purify our lives from besetting sin. Thomas Chalmers once wrote a work, and I haven't read it in a long time. Uh, it's, it's good to read. It's called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. Meaning that you fight sin not just by saying no, 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 which you should do, and we all do. We all should do. But we must replace it with a greater desire. And that's what the Apostle John is saying. Everyone who hopes in him, hopes in this vision, is going to purify himself as he is pure. Now, do we do that perfectly? No. But it is the fuel that will drive that engine to work to set aside that. Be transfixed by His glory, become, forgive me, I have no other way to really say it at this point, obsessed with seeing Him. That doesn't make you useless here. That makes you useful here. That you have clarity of purpose and that setting everything aside, you're going to say, I'm going to set aside that which so easily entangles me because He is worth it and because He will drive that out and because when I look at Him, I see how ugly my sin is and I set it aside to 
pursue that beauty that He has promised to me and Christ purchased for me. Amen. That one day I will see it. Young men, are you entangled in a web of sin that you feel like you cannot break out of? You will see His face. You will behold Christ. Young lady, are, are you despairing of life itself and feel like you have no hope? That you're alone? I have good news for you. Jesus has purchased the fact that you will see God face to face. Older man, older woman, have you, have you been left behind who, by those whom you've dearly loved? And you long for a reunion? Yes, you'll, you'll have your reunion. But oh, how small that is due to the fact that one day you'll see His face. Amen. And everyone in between, do you struggle for hope? Do you struggle for focus in your life? Do you need something above the craziness of this world? above the insanity of our age, above the lies that this world tells us, and above the shallow thinking of so much of the professing church, be transfixed by the fact that you will behold the face of your Maker and that He will cleanse you from all sin and so glorify you that all you will want is Him and fulfill truly your heart's desire. I pray that this hope comforts us today as we look forward to this new year that we will look to God who promised us that even though we have lost the ability to commune with Him, He has bridged that gap by His Son. And that He has purchased the ability for us to have fellowship with God by the, His blood and His perfect righteousness. We are united to Jesus, that He is our mediator, and that He has died, the righteous for the unrighteous, that we will see God. Now, there might be some here who... That's the last thing you want is to see God face to face, because that would mean judgment. There is hope for you today. There is hope. Talk to Pastor Kyle. Talk with me. Talk to so many here who would love to tell you about what the hope is that we have in Christ. That you could be set free from ruin and misery. And have your eyes transfixed, that your heart be actually transformed, that you would want to see your Maker. Not to hide from Him, but to be fully enveloped in His glory. And to have your sin completely and totally eradicated from you once and for all when you behold Him face to face. And to serve Him and to change your desires even now. That is available through the cross of Jesus Christ, through His death and resurrection. Because, as the text says, we are God's children now. And you can become a child of God. 
now if you will turn to him in true repentance and faith. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this word, and I thank you for these men and women here. I pray, Father, that you would transfix our eyes upon your glory, that we would set aside the sin that so easily entangles us and run with endurance. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.